the outline that we lifted from the text and that we've been using for the last couple of weeks, beginning in verse 9, is a threefold outline. It is. You remember? Anybody? Position. Praise. Posture. And posture is that of what? Surrender. Surrender. So to understand our position leads to praise. And to understand the position and the praise that comes from that understanding leads to the posture of surrender. That surrender is biblical surrender. It's for all the right reasons. It's a surrender that's based on the fact that everything that precedes that call for surrender is true. There was once an occasion, and I had uh, I read this, I think, in one of Warren Wiersbe's commentaries. Their commentaries are great. And he wrote of uh, D.O. Moody, the uh, famous evangelist that was used by God to lead countless people to Christ. And there's a school by his name, a very good school. Michael Lucanot went there in uh, Chicago, the Moody Bible Institute. D.O. Moody loved the Lord, and he was a, he was a, a powerful evangelist. And he said once, that for years he asked God to increase his faith. God, increase my faith, increase my faith, increase my faith, increase my faith. Beg God to give him a greater measure of faith. And then one day he was reading in Romans. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And he never asked God for more faith again. Because he realized the source of it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let me say this to you. Before positional truth, before truth about what, who we are in Christ and what He purchased in this great act of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit to live in us and through us, and that Christ is our life. All these grand truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For them to take root in our heart. We have to believe them. And in order to believe them, we have to receive them. And the way that you receive them is simply through meditating on the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If we immerse ourselves long enough in the Word of God, you know what will happen? We will come to actually believe what it says. It's amazing. And Phil can help us here. You put garbage in a computer, you will get garbage out. And the human Soul and spirit is exactly the same. If you put garbage in it all the time, when you're squeezed by the enemy, garbage will come out. But if you put the Word of God in it consistently, persistently, and diligently, when you're squeezed, the same thing will happen to you that happened to Jesus Christ. And when He was squeezed in His temptation account, in Matthew chapter 4, and the parallel accounts in the Bible, what came out? It is written. The living Word of God quoted the Word of God to the devil and he fleed. 
We do that enough, and he can't stand that. He cannot stick around with that. So the surrender he's calling for there, the beloved right there, that turnstile right there, where he's calling you in. Sometimes I'll look, look at that word, and I kind of imagine myself being at Six Flags. My kids and I, we love to go to Six Flags. We don't get to go very often, but we love to go. And then when you're outside the park, and you're looking at all the neat stuff, you're thinking, man, I can't wait to get in there. And you go through that turnstile, and man, you're in. And it's the rest of the day, fighting through lines in 100 degree weather to do something you're not to be doing anyway. And so we go through there and we do all that stuff and spend money we don't have. And then we get in there. But boy, this that kind of surrender is like you see it and you hear about what God's done and you move through the turnstile and then it becomes not theory but experience. That word beloved we talked about last week, that every time that word beloved is mentioned in the Gospels, every single time it's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's always God referring to His Son. Then, when it's mentioned in the epistles, it's always God referring to His own. Because how God thinks about His Son, you as a repentant believer, He now thinks about you. Wow! That's awesome! That is transformational! That's a big deal! The Lord of Heaven has called you and I beloved. And so, well, you know what? I don't feel that way. I don't feel married sometimes. I don't feel like a father sometimes. I don't feel like getting up sometimes. I don't feel a lot of things. But let me tell you this, and time and again we've got to say this, and that is this. When your feelings don't line up with the truth, go with the truth. You do not feel your way into a new way of believing. You believe your way into a new way of feeling. You've got to be anchored by the Word of God. And it's so important. And it was especially important for these people he was talking to and equally important to you and I. And here's why. Probably more than likely, we're probably going to go through some persecution in this country. We've seen nothing of it. But it's probably on the horizon. So be it. So be it, brothers and sisters, so be it. It's an exciting time to be a Christian. Don't ever get down in the dumps and say, oh, it's hopeless. No, the words from heaven coming from the elect is nothing but good stuff. Jesus Christ is not a Democrat or a Republican. It is exactly the way it was when Joshua saw the king of the Lord's army. And he said, are you for us or are you for them? And he basically said, neither one of them. I'm from heaven. I've got a transcendent job to do here. It involves you. But let me tell you something, buddy. Don't go to smelling yourself because you're not that big in the whole scheme of things. I am. See, salvation, while it is for us, it's not about us. It's about the glory of God. And He purchased you and I as His own to Show us forth as trophies of grace. You and I are a beloved. God has bequeathed that to His children through His Son. And He said, the way I think about my Son is now the way I think about you. And the devil spends his time overtime, and who can blame him for trying to talk us out of that? If they could cast doubt on that, see, I can't do anything about these people's relationships, and it just gnaws me that I can't, the devil says. I just can't stand the thought of the fact that I cannot sever their ties with Jesus Christ. I can't do it. I can't snatch them out of His hand. I can't do it. It's an eternal work. I am powerless because of the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and His resurrected life. And so if I can't mess up with that relationship, I sure will do everything I can to mess up the fellowship. I'll keep them distant. I'll keep them doubting. Did God really say that? 
Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Do you blame Him for not changing His methods? They work so well. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Casting down on God's Word. Casting down on the power of His Son. The power of the blood that we just sang about. The power of a resurrected life who's resurrected in you and I. We're eternal because Jesus is eternal. We draw from His life. We don't emulate Him. He's in us. Hallelujah to His name. And this is the way He calls for the surrender in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you. It's That word is urge. It could very well be said, and maybe in some of your translations it could be said, I encourage you. What He's about to say, Brother Al, doesn't save you. What, he about, what he's about to say is the grace of living that is yours and is available to you for having been saved. A couple of Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door yesterday. And we had a discussion. He said, what does the Lord require of you? He said, he said, he said do you believe you need to obey, obey God to go to heaven? I said, well, let me ask you this. How do you define obedience to God? And I knew what he meant. Be a good person. Give more than you take. So on and so forth. He said, well, how do you define it? I said, well, it doesn't matter how I define it, but I said, let me tell you how God defines it. In the Word, it's repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. He said, oh, but the other things, I said, listen, those are evidence of salvation. It's not the root of it. It's not the root of it. Jesus is salvation. It's not about a plan. It's about a man. It's not about a creed. It's about a Christ. It's not about a crucifix. It's about a cross. It was empty. Because the tomb is empty. He's at the Father's right hand. He ever lives to make intercession for me. And you and I are in heaven right now. And I can't explain that. But the Bible says we're seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Based on all these grandiose and glorious and wonderful truths, whether we feel them or not, it doesn't make it any less true. My grandfather used to say this. And he have said this before. Al, you probably remember this. But back years ago when you and I were in church, there's a saying that floated around. You know, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And my grandfather used to say, the Bible says it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Amen? Sometimes we can say, the Bible says it. I feel it, therefore I believe it. The Bible says it. I don't feel it. must not be true. The Bible says it. Others think this of me. must not be true. Others' opinions must not be true. And we wash it through the whole thing. And what are we doing? We're casting down on God's Word. I told my son in the hallway this morning, I said, Andrew, do you know what the, God, the Bible says about God's Word? Bible says, God says about His Word, He exalts it above His name. He exalts His Word above His name. He knows of its power because it's alive. It became alive in His Son. We're sojourners, we're pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You remember we talked about the fact that this is an ongoing conflict that will never end until we get to heaven. It will, it will end only when we get to heaven. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. When God comes to them and they either repent or not, you will not be an impediment to their decision. We talked about it last week. The number of people you hear. Oh, so-and-so evangelist led how many, this how many thousand people to Christ. And we wonder, and wonder how many people keep up with how many people somebody turned away from Christ. I've not heard that statistic. 
Never heard that one touted. Then he gives the terms of surrender. Strangely enough, the terms of surrender and kind of the glue that holds the rest of the book together is submission to authority. Would you think that? Submission to authority is the rest of the book. I tell you this, we're going to kind of fly over it, you know, like 40,000 feet and kind of look at it now from a bird's eye view. But if you just take a look at it here, in verse 13 it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men. Submit to government authority. Then in verse 18 it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Uh, and even whether they're good, gentle, evil, whatever they are. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And then, if you keep on moving, in chapter 4, um, I'm sorry, in chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. So the glue that holds Second Peter, 1 Peter together is this. Regardless of who the authority is in your life, whether they're difficult to deal with or whether they're easy to deal with or whether you agree with them or whether you don't agree with them, submit. That's it. Now, we're flying real high right now. We're, we're flying high above the text. And so we're going to take just kind of a, a bird's eye view over it. But I want to I look at something that we've looked at before in this issue of, of authority. All right? Okay? Just get, bear with me for a second. The first thing he says out of the gate is we're to submit to government authority. That's what it says. And not only an attitude of submission, but that attitude should be one of respect submission. It's really, to be honest with you, it's really almost like evangelistic citizenship. The way you act as a citizen either detracts from the gospel or it points to it, one or the other. And he said, this is the way I want you, this is the level of surrender. Now remember, he's calling upon them to submit to an emperor who was rank and file evil. Nero. He had already falsely accused them of burning Rome, parts of it, when he had done it himself. And he shifted the blame from them when it found out it wasn't popular as he thought it would be for him. And now persecution has broken out all over the empire and Christians are characterized as being insurrectionists. All they care about is this kingdom. All they care about is overflowing Rome. All they care about is government change. All they care about is a change in rule. That's all they care about. And yet our Lord, when He stood before Pilate, said this. When Pilate said, don't you know, I got it in my hand to spare your life or take it. Really didn't have that. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to take you up on that one. You have no authority over me except what's been given by my Father in heaven. And by the way, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Authority is a big issue in the Bible. Authority is a huge issue in the Bible. The authority is such a big issue in the Bible. Such a big issue in the Bible that one day Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David and not Samuel simply because Samuel would not submit to authority. Saul. He's going to sit on the throne of David, not the throne of Saul, because his line was cut off because of rebellion. He would not submit to authority. He said, I can't work with the likes of you. I can't. As a matter of fact, after that, Samuel was off the scene. He couldn't get a word from God. He could get no direction. Saul was so disoriented. And he, he succumbed to the temptation to go enlist and hire a witch to tell him direction 
because Samuel was no longer the scene. And she conjures up this counterfeit Samuel. Now that speaks to this. And here's, before we go, we're going to dive into this, this issue about spirit, submitting to government authority. But I want you to look at a text, and stay with me for a minute. And let's look at a text, and let's see how important this issue is about authority. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Let's go to Matthew 21. And we're going to... We've got to get our arms around the fact, and I believe you do have your arms around this, but let me say this to you and share this with you. Where are this? Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem to be killed, to be sacrificed on the cross. He's not making his way into Jerusalem to sit on the throne of David, which is what the hopes were of the disciples. He was making his way to Jerusalem to die a brutal death of a criminal on the cross in public shame and humiliation for mine and your sin. The disciples, though, are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Because here's what they did. They let the truth about the cross just gloss right over them. They didn't even want to hear about it. As a matter of fact, in Luke's account of it, Jesus said this. Hear this, guys. Now listen to you. And let this, this is Jesus speaking. Let this sink down into your heart now. I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And it's going to get ugly. And the Bible says that that went right over their heads. And they were afraid to even ask him a question about it. Because they were afraid of what he might tell them. They didn't, you know what, they didn't want to, they were in denial. You know, this cross business, now that can happen to us as Christians. We live in denial of the cross. We appreciate it for salvation, but this thing about messing around with the way I live, now I don't appreciate that. So I'd rather just not talk about that part. But Jesus said, let me tell you something, don't live in denial. This is going to happen. But they just kind of they kind of go okay, and they get, and they went about their business. Okay, who's going to be the greatest? Gary, you going to be Secretary of Treasury? Al, you'll be Secretary of State. No, I want to be Secretary of State. No, I'll be Vice President. If something happens to him, I'm getting going. No, and they're doing this, and then Jesus ever going. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. They're going. Okay, good. Okay, now what, Al? Did you want to be what now? Do you want to be Treasurer? And that's this is what was going on. They were completely ignoring that. So he's marched straight to the cross. He's making a beeline to the cross. He gets into uh, to uh, to uh, Jerusalem. You know the story, he overturns the tables in the temple. Remember that? He gets himself in trouble, as always, with the religious crowd, the religious leaders. There's a principle here I want to lift from this before we go into this issue of authority because it's all over. It is all over. I just showed you by flying over First Peter, this issue of authority, what a big deal it is. But let me, let me just say this to you. Before we go there and tease it out in the next couple of weeks, look at this. I want you to look at what happens in Matthew 21, verse 23. It says, now when he, Jesus, came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, as is typical for our Lord, he answered the question with a question. I will ask you one thing. Which, if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? Was it from heaven or from men? Okay, they get there, they go get in their little huddle. You know, they go and say, okay, well, hold on a second, I'll get back to you. And so they go over there and they get in their little huddle and they try to conspire. How are we going to get out of this? He just painted us into a corner, is what he did. Let me tell you what he did. They were reasoning among themselves. 
And here's what they said. If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, then why don't you believe him? It means they're going to have to repent and accept him as their Savior. So they can't do that. But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they said, we can't say that, because that they'll get mad and they'll kill us. So here's what we'll say. We don't know. We don't know. Jesus was doing there what he does with everybody and every witness encounter and every spirit-led encounter, and that is this. He's forcing us to make a decision about who he is. Up or down. Fish or cut bait. It's one or the other. Either he was a lunatic and a deranged, crazy leader who got himself killed and things got out of control, or either he's the son of God. You have to make up your mind. Make a decision about who he is. So he painted them into a corner. If they admit and say, yes, uh, okay, uh, John the Baptist, uh, 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 you know, uh, okay, then that means they'd have to repent right there and receive him as being the coming Messiah because that's what John the Baptist preached. The kingdom of God is here. He's a forerunner of Jesus Christ. It means you've got to repent and put your faith in Jesus. Well, they're not about to do that. Then they realize, you know what, if we... Say that John the Baptist peddled a false message, they'll kill us. So here's how we'll weasel out of it. We don't know. And Jesus said with this, okay, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And I say this, dear ones, the moment we begin to question God's inherent authority and His delegated authority, you get no answers from Him. You get no answers from him. Many professing Christians go around and life is just one confusing day after the other and they can't seem to get clarity about God's will for their lives and this is a reason. Because when you question his authority, you get no answers from him. Unless you admit that I'm the Son of God, you repent, and put yourself under my authority. By doing that, you get nothing from me. And the Lord says, okay, now let's tease that out a little bit. That means submitting to the authority of His Word. You know, if we, if we, if we, if we wrestle with it, if we get cutesy-wootsy with it, don't take it literally, try to do things and contort it and do things that we do with it, cast doubt on it, or maybe say, well, it didn't really mean that, or the text didn't mean that, or I like this part, but I don't like that part. And so Christianity becomes like this smorgasbord exercise where we go up to the buffet line and go, well, you know, I appreciate that, but I'd rather, I don't And so that gives me indigestion. And so then we go through the line and we pick out and pick and choose what we're going to put on the plate. We come back to the end and we don't have Christianity. We have our version of it. It's called idolatry. We have a God of our own making. The question is word. Children, you do the same thing if you question the authority and don't submit to the authority of your parents. Did you know what the one of the signs of the last times is going to be that we're in right now? Do you know what it is? Children being disobedient to their parents. Of the Ten Commandments, the first one, the first horizontal commandment, the first four are this way about our relationship with God. The rest of them are horizontal this way, making the form of a cross. And the first horizontal commandment is what? Number five. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. doesn't mean that if you honor your mother and father, you get to be to live to a ripe old age. What he meant by that was is you will no longer exist as a people if children rebel against the authority of their parents. One of the greatest 
examples of the gospel is submissive children. Let me tell you this. The Bible says a wise son or daughter heeds their father's instruction, but a scoffer will not listen to rebuke. God can even take a pagan father and speak to a pagan father to give blessings to their children. There are no qualifiers. Honor godly fathers. Honor godly mothers. No, it says honor your mother and father. Because here's the deal. You cannot separate. There is no room in Scripture. Listen now. There's no room in Scripture to separate God's inherent authority from His delegated authority. It's just not there. We look for ends. You know, God, yeah, we acknowledge you're in charge. But I just do not appreciate who's president of the United States right now. Or I just don't appreciate how my mother or father are acting right now. Or I just flat don't appreciate my difficult employer. And what he's saying is this. To submit, even in the worst circumstances, is a great presentation of the gospel. Because when you're asked, why is it that you're loyal to a tyrant employer? Why is it that you're loyal? Why is it that you don't contend? It doesn't mean that we have to agree with the policy of our government. It just means that we don't go about trying to overthrow it. It means that we say, you know what? God's got that settled in heaven. God's big enough to take care of that. And every rule and every authority that exists exists at His discretion. They last as long as He wants it to last. He raises them up and He takes them down at His will. God's in charge of that. And so if we come under that kind of authority, you know what happens? When you come under authority, wives being submissive to husbands, if the Christian life is a confusing enterprise, then look and see where the authorities are in your life and see if you're being submissive to them. Check in with them. I've told you the story before. How I was at our previous church and I was the associate pastor. And my senior pastor didn't look over my shoulder. We kind of, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. And if we weren't doing it, he'd find out about it. And we, you know, you know, we'd have to deal with that. But he, he didn't just lord it over us or look over and check on us or what have you. But I was discipling the student, I mean, the college pastor at the time. He came up to me one day and said, Brother Lindsay, would you just spend some time with me weekly? In the Word, and I said, Let's, let me pray about it. And I said, Yeah, I believe the Lord's in it. So we went and we get in my office and start having church. And it turned into a two or three hour thing. We started at like five o'clock in the morning, and here we are, you know, four hours later, still in the Word, praying and seeking the Lord and crying and laughing and everything else in between. And there was a day when the pastor and I were out riding around, and I told him to pull over on the side of the road. And I said, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that I'm doing in ministry in which I'm not submissive to your authority? He said, there's one. I said, what is it? Please tell me. He said, those meetings you're having with Kevin are going a little bit too long. I want to stop at 8 o'clock. I said, done. Done. Because anything that happens after 8 o'clock, God's not in it. You see? Check and see. Children, check and see. Be submissive to your parents. Not only, and let me tell you this, there is a link when you're submissive, when a wife is submissive to a husband, when Christians are submissive to civil authority, when employees are submissive to employers, the motivation for all of it, the motivation for all of it is, I'm submissive to the authorities in my life because they were put there by God. And to be submissive to them is to be submissive to Him. As unto the Lord. 
That's my motivation. That's it. That's why I do it. That's why I pay taxes. That's why we should obey civil authority. That's why we should be model citizens. And the only time that we're given permission in the scriptures, and we'll go through this a little bit, to disobey civil authorities if we're told explicitly to do something that's against our clear convictions. Other than that, and even then you do it in a spirit of humility. And we realize that God's inherent authority and His delegated authority are one and the same. You cannot separate them. You can't just say, well, you can't tell me now, wait a minute, that God put me in this work environment with such an incompetent boss who's ugly, ill-tempered, and does everything he can to undermine my Christian witness and to demean me. You can't tell me that God's in that. And the Scriptures say, yes, I am. You know why? In the whole scheme of things, not only does He glorify it when you submit, but God knows your frame and He knows you need that in order to conform Him and in order to conform you into the image of His Son. The water cooler discussions that take place at offices, and I've been there, I know what they are. And boy, you can stick just something out there and see if somebody will take the bait and say just some little something about your boss. And all of a sudden you can find out who will run with it and who won't. The rebels will run with it. And you know that. And then all of a sudden you're involved in this nasty conversation about, well, I'm going to pay us enough to do this. Before you know it, you get looped into an ungodly conversation that is an impediment to your Christian witness. It will undermine it every time. Don't let the authorities in your life go, wow, he has good ideas, but I'm here to tell you, that's a, that person's hard to manage. It's going to be hard to tell them how Jesus Christ has changed your life. It's going to be hard. You're going to be hard-pressed to do that. Don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. Don't use it as a cover-up for sin. We'll go into that. We don't have time right now, but we're going to go into that. And we're going to talk about submission to authority. The apostle, can you hear what Peter's doing? Peter is preparing people for the hardest word he could possibly give them. And that is this. You have a tyrant emperor who hates your guts and would just love to wipe Christianity off the map because he requires worship of himself. And he knows that you're not going to bow to him. You've proven that. He's killed many of you and you've went to your death confessing that Jesus is Lord and refused to recant. And so he's aggravated the tar out of him. So the only thing he's left to do is persecute you. And you could have your meetings and your rallies and your picket signs and you could do all of that and you could, you could come against him or you could submit. And when he told them you're going to submit, you know how they had to look at that command? They had to go, God, that's beyond me. And Jesus said, that's the point. It will take me. It will take me. That's why I'm asking you to surrender. Because this is who you are. This is the praise that comes from it. And it leads to a posture of surrender. You know what? Just real quick like, and then we'll go. And we'll dismiss. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the Bible says at the beginning of the narrative, <laughs> he knew who he was and where he was headed. I'm the Son of God. I'm going back to heaven. I was there first to come back here to tell you about it and secure a way for you to go, and now I'm going back.
I know who I am. And it was that knowledge that led to that humility. Understand? In other words, I serve you this way, it costs me nothing. It doesn't take away from my personhood. It, 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 it validates it. I submit to government authority. I submit to a tired employee. I submit to my mom and dad with the spirit of submission. What does it cost me? It doesn't cost me anything. It exposes me to be one of God's own. That's what it's about. And how, what does that come off the heels of? Knowing your position. This is who I am in Christ. I praise Him for what He's done for me. And now I surrender. Hallelujah. Amen. So we shouldn't be a bunch of people. And I get caught up in it. I tell you right now, I told you I had to repent not too long about this. I get caught up in it. You look around and see what's going on and it aggravates the tar out of you. We have to step back and say, wait a minute, Lord. I serve an eternal kingdom. There's a transcendent thing going on here that's way beyond the United States of America or geopolitical movement or control. It's about you. It's about your kingdom. Amen? That's what it's about. It's about the gospel. And if you put me in a position around difficult people, and I have to submit to difficult people, and as a result of it, your son looks good, then so be it. Put me there. Put me there. But God, I can't do it on my own. And God says, that's right, son. You have to depend on me. You better hope that you recognize the positions where you've run out of you. Because wherever you've run out of you, it's where you stand to experience Him. Because whatever you think you can control, and you can't control anything, but whatever you think you can control, you don't need Him for. But you get out there at the deep end of the pool, and you get out there without instructions about how to run Taco Bell, and you're thrown out there, then all of a sudden, you have to depend on somebody that's bigger than you. And that's the Lord who lives inside you. Amen.